This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to The Bunker Daily. I am your host, Alex Andreu. I rarely speak of the perks of this job, but today I simply must. Last month, my curiosity was piqued by an article in The Week entitled Lab-Made Mini-Brain Develops Its Own Eyes and came complete with an image straight out of an 80s Frank Henenlotter horror film. I am quite used to tabloid sensationalizing research, but The Week is a quite reliable source. So I looked into it and it turns out that, okay, they're not exactly mini-brains and the optic instruments they developed are not exactly eyes, but the story was a fair reflection of the extraordinary research currently going on in the field of organoids, and the image was real. Some obsessive research later, I said to the team, do you think we could get someone very smart that understands organoids to explain this to our listeners? And here I am today with Dr. J. Gopalakrishnan, a professor at the Heinrich Heine University in Dusseldorf, who is the person doing this research at the Institute for Human Genetics, the leader of the project's that I told you about, and the author of that published paper. Welcome to the podcast, Jay. It's my great pleasure to speak with you. It's so wonderful to have you on. Jay, before we get into the science of it all, when people at parties ask what you do, does it ever get old replying, I grow little brains in a lab? <laughs> uh, well, you know, and scientifically, in scientific term, you can't use this uh, little brain because brain means, in in scientists, they do understand. I mean, literal meaning in science is that uh, brain means like a human brain. You have got number of different cell types in it and so forth. But for common audience, you could call them as a mini like <laughs> so, so the correct term would be cerebral organoids, right? Yes, uh, cerebral organoid is one term, but we call it as a brain organoid. Yes, it can easily reach the common public. So we've had the ability to grow tissue from a particular organ for a long time. What distinguishes an organoid from living tissue like that? Yeah, very good question. There is a key difference. The organoids, the lab-grown organoids, they, you basically you start with the stem cells. These stem cells can be pluripotent stem cells. So mm. then you give them proper instructions by using different chemicals to instruct them to differentiate into specific tissue type. Mm. So one of them is uh, brain organoids that we do. And like that, you can generate many different kinds of organoids. They mimic the human tissues. So uh, basically, the question is, where do you origin all of these from? So basically, they are all from stem cells. Right. So pluripotent, just for our listeners, reaching back into my Latin means cells that have many possibilities. So they're basically embryonic cells that could develop into anything. That's correct. So right. pluripotent means 
you know, for this particular discovery got a Nobel Prize by Professor Nobel Prize was given to Professor Shinya Yamanaka in 2007. So what he did is that he could take any kind of cell and then he puts his factors. It is called as Yamanaka factors. This allows the cells. You can take a skin cell, for example. Mm-hmm. The, this fact, these factors allow the cells, the skin cells, to be generated into embryonic stem cell-like cells. Therefore, it is called as induced pluripotent stem cells. and this has got the virtue of all the capacities mm. and you encourage them with chemicals to grow into a, a sort of an embryonic version of that organ so which organs have we been successful in producing organoid versions of in the last 10 years um, i've seen so many tissue types have been uh, generated for instance you know my laboratory is interested in making a brain organoids i have seen liver kidney intestine cardiac lung skin even lacrimal gland there are literally every single uh, human organ type has been differentiated from the pluripotent stem cells the combination of different organ types that is going to be challenging and that has not been very well developed i would say mm. and this is where your research comes in right that's correct because i i just step back to my um, for, for one sentence back so uh, you know if you want to generate a complex organ let's take an example of brain and eye there are mm. some of the cell types in the eyes the brain comes from so called neuroectoderm you know mm-hmm. neuronal cell types some of the cell types in the eye they come from surface surface ectoderm Mm-hmm. so these are two different origins basically so uh, the one possibility uh, is that you need to generate brain separately you need to generate eye cell types separately or retinal cell types separately then you need to be able to fuse them it is challenging aspect so in our case uh, why not we can generate both of them in a single organoid due to the fact that during the embryonic development in vivo some of the primitive eye structures developed from the forebrain so therefore we thought well we should be able to instruct these brain organoids to generate to assemble those uh, primitive eye like structures if you if you just go back to our initial question if you want to generate let's say brain and uh, and the liver together for instance yeah that's going to be very difficult because the brain uh, cells are developed from ectoderm and then liver cells are developed from endoderm there are two different uh, germ lines so how do you combine them and identify a, a mechanism to differentiate both of them together it is going to be very difficult task it has not been done before is there any method that in effect develops goes towards developing an entire embryo and simply suppresses the organs that we don't want to encourage if that makes sense so going the opposite way into it yeah, but that's exactly what we do in the lab so right. you take pluripotent stem cells and then uh, the pluripotent stem cells are embryonic stem cells have the ability to differentiate give rise to any cell types that you want initially you generate so called embryoid bodies mm. that has got all three germ layers uh, you know ectoderm endoderm and mm. mesoderm so what we do is we suppress the mesoderm from where you get muscles and the endoderm and allow the neuro uh, ectoderm to differentiate to give rise to neuronal cells 
And and just to say, you know, those are not really eyes, but they are made from the same same material, and they are capable of distinguishing light as opposed to the absence of light, right? Yeah. So that's the idea. It started. I mean, it's described in the paper. Uh, in during 1800, uh, people have been uh, doing the similar kind of experiments in vivo, and they made a beautiful literature out of it. And, and they did suspect that, and eventually they proved it, the primitive eye field, the primitive eye-like structures, they emerge from the human forebrain. Mm. These are the literatures of century-old literatures. So my lab works on uh, generating brain organoids and study the neurodevelopmental disorders and so forth. And then when I when we looked at gene expression profiles, we did identify some signatures that these brain organoids can generate optic cell types. So if these brain organoids are really useful tissues and if they are physiologically relevant, mm. we should be able to dictate them to generate eye-like cell types. And if they don't, they are not useful tissue. So this was our stimulating uh, factor for us. All right, then we tried to instruct the brain organoids to generate optic vesicles. And surprisingly, we we could find them. Yes, in quite a high percentage. Yes, it is correct because we could reproduce the data. And what it means is that the stem cells uh, or the brain organoids they know exactly what they want to do if you give them a proper feedback. Uh, so they are able to self-assemble. They, they self-organize those primitive optic cups. And these uh, optic cups are optic vesicles. They are not randomly positioned if you look at the mm. figure. So they are specifically and restricted to one, one, one pole of the organoid. So we did not find more than two. Which is why the image looks so extraordinary, because, you know, it has the sort of front positioning and spacing of two reflective lenses. Is this the first time that one complex organoid has been coaxed into developing a second one? Or or have there been other cases? We are happy to say that uh, this is the first time that we could identify. We are very fortunate Mm. Do this. However, you know, we should also credit uh, the other researchers in the past. For instance, Lancaster Madeline, uh, the MRC lab in England, she generated uh, brain organoids and then she did identify some of the retinal cell types. Um, it was a pioneering work. It's the process of science is, you know, you're always building on on someone else's work. No, that's the great thing in science. I mean, it is not a de novo, right? I mean, you need to develop from a foundation, someone develops it. What are the real-life applications for this right now? Um, I understand you're able to do things like study the development of embryos, obviously, model how particular diseases progress. What else is possible? So, first of all, you know, um, this is modeling. Conventionally, you have uh, retinal disorders you could study, but you would never know the developmental defects occurring in these retinal disorders. For this purpose, these organoids are extremely helpful. I mean, you are speaking about the defects that occur already at the 10th week of embryogenesis, and there Mm -hmm. is no way to study about it, right? So, we could model them. And then uh, if the methods, methods are developed further, 
I believe one could generate patient-specific, meaning individualized brain organoids, similar ones that we published. So what's called personalized medicine? Yeah, that is one step before. Personalized organoid means, let's say, if you could offer your skin cells, half a year from now, you have brain organoid with uh, optic vesicles of your own. And, and 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 when the technology advances, uh, you know, you, let's say if you are if you are interested in getting a specific cell type of your own interest, hmm. so we could isolate it from those organoids, and perhaps we can transplant it to you. And these are the significant advances that uh, the the field awaits to move forward. So this is one possibility in the long run. And presumably the issue that would solve is the issue of, first of all, the lack of availability of organs for transplantation, but also issues of rejection. Absolutely. Immune compromise, you know, immune rejection. So let's say you could get the cell types that are derived from your own cells. Basically, you're going reverse uh, to to generate your own cells of your embryonic state. So your body would perceive it as still part of... Uh, itself, as it were. Yeah, theoretically, yes. Of course, there are bottlenecks. You know, you need to generate them under certain conditions, uh, contamination-free, pathogen-free. But that is something that the field has to generate, you know, develop further. How close do you think we are to that? Because, uh, you know, for me as an outsider, looking at this field, it seems that the curve of development is really exponential that you know what happened in the previous sort of 80 years has already been overtaken by what happened in the previous 10 years and what happened in the 10 years has been overtaken by what happened in the last 12 months so there seems to be a sort of acceleration curve absolutely just look at in the last 8 years how things have developed so I don't think things are going exponentially, but it is vertically going up. It's going north. So with this magnitude, I don't think with all other uh, sophisticated technologies, um, I don't think it's going to take uh, multiple decades to get to the stage where you can generate your own cell type for the transplantation experiments. My guess in less than 10 years. Do organoids degrade naturally or do you bring about their end? So theoretically, could you develop them right now until they were a fully developed organ? Well, that's our challenging uh, question right now we are facing it. But remember, uh, these organoids are grown under diffusion conditions. So the nutrient availability is purely by diffusion. And they don't have a vasculature, for example, or capillary kind of uh, apparatus inside. Therefore, the nutrient supply is good. So we don't have those kind of sophistications. So one of the questions that we wanted to do is that how long can we keep these organoids alive? By keeping them alive for a longer period of time, there is a high chance that these organoids would generate much more mature cell types of photoreceptors uh, are quite abundant, uh, rare kind of cell types. Mm. So these are the things that the field uh, is facing as challenges and we are working on it. The actor Christopher Reeve described these cells as a human self-repair kit. So how far do you think this can go? Be as sci-fi as you want. Are we talking brain cell regeneration to battle diseases like Alzheimer's, skin regeneration? Are we talking rich people keeping a stock of personalized spare organs for when they need them? What, what are we talking about here? 
I don't think it's going to take multiple decades. I think uh, I would see in the, within this decade, I'm very sh- because we already see that retinal transplantations have been done. The next 10 years is not going to go in the same speed of last 10 years. Mm-hmm. It's going to amplify so crazy. So I think in a decade, we should be having fruitful science coming out and that would help the mankind. I, I don't see it's going to take a lot of, you know, many years. Do tell me off if I stray towards fiction, but are there any cross-discipline explorations going on, for instance, with artificial intelligence projects that, you know, might be able to use the cellular structures of these brain organoids as a, a, as a medium for computational purposes? Yeah, I mean, this is a great question. The artificial intelligence is uh, trendy right now. This particular field doesn't only include involve biologists like me, but uh, computation scientists, physicists, and many, many different cross-discipline expertise. I can't really comment on it. But what I can say is that, let's say, in a distant future, I, I can just think of it. You are talking to each other, is what I'm, is what I'm trying to... I, I don't mean directly talking to each other, but you are keeping an eye on each other's progress, as it were. Yes, it's a big think tank. So we need to discuss with individuals that they have a, they have a completely different expertise and they may think differently how I think. So maybe in the distant, in the, in the, in the, really in the near future, there is a chance to engage all of this expertise to see what can we do. So one aspect is that, let's say, if you do connect these brain organoids to, let's say, um, some artificial system, so when you, because these are all light sensitive, or uh, you could also trigger the neuronal activity. Hmm. So maybe they might, they could elicit some secondary response that that the artificial system can respond to it. So these are the things, um, you know, I can't really comment on it. I know, but it's, it's just extraordinary to speculate. Um, yeah. it, one, one final question. So some in your discipline have expressed mm-hmm. some ethical concerns. I've read a couple of papers, and there are people who are warning that we are quite close to crossing the line between a brain organoid with optic apertures able to detect light and go into sentience. What do you think? Well, you know, it's one has to be careful, of course. I do respect people's opinion. But the brain organoid, it's not, okay, they don't have any consciousness, right? Because it is, it is, it's a one organ of a human body, not like connected with, uh, with uh, you know, ears, uh, connected with nose or uh, hand and leg. No, it is, it is a one organ of a human body, even, not even an organ, it's organoid, yeah? Mm-hmm. So I do not think we are crossing the ethical uh, boundary here. However, what kind of experiments can you do? Let's say if you then induce some sort of a pain to these organoids, right? They might sense the pain because it's, it activates the neuronal activity. You could, mm. you could measure them. But think about the similar experiment that you want to do it in the whole, whole animal model. That's much more painful than this uh, tiny, small part of the tissue. We haven't done that kind of experiments, inducing some sort of pain. I think we are free from that, that aspect because these organites are not conscious. They don't have any consciousness. So... I do not see the problem so far, but of course, 
my view can be completely biased, but ethical issues are not only considered by biologists. You need to have a different discipline, people like philosophers. Of course. You know, historians. There are so many people have to involve. So we need to come up with a much more democratic decision. What experiments can we do and not what experiments we cannot do? Professor J. Gopalakrishnan, thank you for your time and for sharing this this incredible knowledge and good luck with your future projects. It's my pleasure and thank you for having me. Listeners, remember there's some new podcast from either the Bunker or the Ogoat family pretty much every day. You can support us financially in the funding platform Patreon. You can also help us in a very simple way that costs you nothing. Subscribe, review and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Every time you do that, our voice is amplified and promoted to new listeners. So take 30 seconds to do that now. Every day, the brightest and best scientific minds open new doors to new possibilities, to ways of understanding the universe which surrounds us, ways of improving lives and alleviating suffering. As progress accelerates, are the ethics of each discipline something that rests solely on those scientists or something that should be farmed out to philosophers and legal scholars to develop in parallel? In short, is the only question for science, can I, Or might it occasionally be, should I? This is Alex Andreu in the bunker saying over and out. The Bunker Daily was written and presented by Alex Andreu. The producer was Andrew Harrison. The assistant producers were Jacob Archbold and Yelna Sofronievich. The audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production.